0: Three, two, two one. one, clap! Yeah, right.
1: that's close enough. Started. Yep. Yeah. So now you have something that you can actually edit to around.
0: Yeah, that's that's useful. I always do that when recording with Carter or anyone else.
1: Yeah, that was a, a fast karate uh, original idea. That's the oh, way. It, that's, that's where. That's okay. It, that's where a bunch of us got that idea was but, to, yeah. to do the clap was because of. Uh, Fast Karate for the Gentleman did that, and uh, it worked for them. So
0: uh, I always like Fast Karate, but I can never get into more than like a few episodes in a row because they just start talking in depth about, in depth about games I've never played. Yeah, and like I'm not familiar with, and it just it alienates me.
1: Yeah, my problem with it was more of a uh, that that they just kind of they kind of just assume that you know what they're talking about. Yeah. Before and they don't they don't necessarily say by the way we're talking about this all the time like there are definitely times that they'll just say yeah it was weird when that ninja guy showed up and they did this thing and you're like <laughs> what are you even talking about so
0: exactly I, yeah, right.
1: so, yeah, so yeah, how I do imagine. you want to like start this like have you done any episodes yet
0: no i haven't this is the first okay. this is wow. uh, effectively a pilot a test run a proof of concept if you there will There you go. okay <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Fool's Gold, the podcast where we talk about underrated, sometimes bad media, but why we enjoy it so much. I'm your host, Josh Satenchi, creator of Stuff Abridged, and I am joined today for our very special pilot episode, the proof of concept, the episode that started it all by lovely co-host Greg ZeroStyle. Now, Greg, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us your history with podcasting and what you've done on the internet internet and tell us why you're important why everyone out there should be listening to your words of wisdom
1: yeah i don't think i'm uh i don't think i'm important but i i have been uh i have done a podcast for before i did a podcast uh, on the box of danger.com it was called danger cast with uh grant master wgs of team four star now um I currently am working on a strategy board game, and I mostly complain on Twitter.
0: Uh, complaints on Twitter, I love it. Sounds similar enough to my own uh, internet history. Uh, I don't have quite the background in podcasting, but I, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, currently working on random production things for the, uh, a comedy series, and uh, mainly just yeah, complain on Twitter, post random things all the time. So uh, f- first, I think we should uh, I don't know, give a bit of an, an introduction to what the podcast is, what we're going to be talking about, and when I, uh, when I came upon this idea, uh, I thought of it as vaguely, why are bad pieces of media good or enjoyable? And it's not strictly bad pieces of media, just ones that aren't uh, necessarily as dynamic, exciting, or uh, good uh, objectively good in certain yeah, the, features, like the better yes.
1: reviewed stuff. Like what 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 makes something like you know uh, just like your, your your bargain bin game? What makes some of those good that some people may not have necessarily understand?
0: Yeah, yeah. What makes some of those so fun to play? Yeah, I was reading a bunch of uh, web comics and Korean comics online and stuff, and uh, like some of them are aren't like that exciting, aren't the, they? Aren't things I'd necessarily normally be interested in? And I, uh, like, came to read them and uh, pretty much read them through them pretty quickly, enjoyed them very much. Uh, I could mention a few of them, uh, like, say, uh, Where Tangents Meet, uh, Less Than Epic Adventures of TJ and Amal, stuff like that. Uh, those were the specific mm-hmm. ones, but um, uh, things like that uh, that I may talk about in future episodes if anyone else in the world has actually read them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been getting into, I guess, more and more niche media recently, which is... Uh, kind of annoying because there aren't, like, fan bases or people I know who have, uh, consumed these pieces of media. But, uh, today we're going to be talking about something much more mainstream. Greg, if you will?
1: Uh, so I thought that we should kind of kick this off with X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, it came out this year. It was a, uh, it, it was a, an X-Men movie. I believe it's the fourth in the, current line of X-Men movies. Uh,
0: third, I believe. I think it's uh First Class, Days of Future Past and then Apocalypse.
1: Well, then there you go. I was wrong again. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was in, I was including uh Wolverine. That's why. Oh, there we go. Uh, okay. But it is uh it is in the current uh Michael Fassbender, um uh, James McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence uh X-Men movies. And when it came out, it was kind of slept on. A lot of people said that it was uh, it was wasn't as good as the others it was a disappointment um and i you know it right now uh, it is at a uh it is a 7.3 on IMDB which is pretty decent for those uh but it also is a 47% on rotten tomatoes and a 52% on metacritic which kind of is right on that line of with is this is this a good movie is this a bad movie uh and well, I don't think that it was the best movie of the summer by any stretch of the imagination, it, uh, it definitely, I think, got a little bit more, um, I think that there was a little bit too much criticism thrown towards the movie, and I think that it was, it's a perfect, uh, it's a perfect jumping off point for the podcast.
0: Yes, exactly. It's something that it wasn't, uh, a very well reviewed, necessarily, and, uh something that was had a, a lot of faults in it, but something that each of us uh, definitely still enjoyed or had fun watching. And um, yeah, I'm going to yeah comment a bit on what you were saying, and uh, yeah, something we were talking about earlier, that uh, this came out pretty soon after uh, Captain America Civil War, which garnered a lot of attention, a lot of praise, and then X-Men Apocalypse went pretty much ignored, which uh, the, the series or the franchise has been pretty big over the years, so that seemed a little strange to me honestly
1: yeah and it was it was really weird especially given the uh the hype i guess that had come around with it because the movie was you know it's it's the apocalypse story like he's the Mm -hmm. big big bad of the x-men universe and seeing him out there and doing like all the interesting uh all of his powers and his you know him being just such a threat to all of the x-men you know you get to see uh angel as uh as the god of er as the angel of death one of his four horsemen um they they've done a lot of promotion showing uh, olivia munn as psylocke uh you have uh mystique is coming back you have a young cyclops a young gene gray uh you have a young nightcrawler you have a young storm uh havoc striker comes back and it, there's even jubilee is in the movie for a little bit
0: even there, Hugh Jackman and Wolverine are in the, is in the movie.
1: Yeah, which I Again. Mean, we, can get, we can get into that a little bit later. But, yeah, um, the, there there are definitely a couple of stumbling points in the movie. I I think that the I think that the direction in the movie I think is incredibly well uh, well done. I think that the uh, characters I think that they do a good job with with Professor X in particular in the movie. I think that uh, Mystique does okay, and I think that your uh beast cyclops gene gray quicksilver stuff is still great i think that there are a couple of stumbling points with i think in particular i think that magneto and your uh like you said wolverine hugh jackman in the movie yeah. i think that those are some of the weaker points of the movie
0: mm-hmm uh but, and there was yeah yeah sorry continue
1: no it's on the oh, sorry side. and
0: yeah there were um I, my problems with the movie mainly had to do with uh, some bits with the writing and really what they wanted to accomplish with the movie. But again, we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Um, I want to comment, yeah, you said the movie's very well directed, and yeah, it was again Brian Singer who's done uh, pretty much all the X-Men movies, except for uh, X-Men 3. The I think it was Last Stand, subtitled. Um, so he's, yeah, he's yeah been the, the face, or not the face, but the, the man behind X, the X-Men movies for I don't know, Fifteen years now, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And uh, he also actually saw another movie that he directed recently, um, The Usual Suspects, uh, and I really enjoyed that.
1: Oh yeah, he's a... he's done some incredible movies. He did yeah. The Usual Suspects is a good one. He did Valkyrie, which I think was an underrated movie. Oh yeah, as I once well. saw that. That was, that was uh, pretty good. Yeah, he uh, the 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 big stumbling block that he's had was with Superman Returns. That was his big mm. that was his big movie that didn't uh, didn't do too well. I know that he's. I know that he's done other movies since then, but his, the X Men movies are, are definitely the ones that people remember. And the Usual Suspects obviously is another one that is is incredibly. Uh, yep. It's an incredible movie. Kevin
0: Spacey, very exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that the direction, like like we said, is, is kind of the be- one of the better points in the movie. I, I think, like what you said, bringing it, like going into the writing. I think that that is the weakest point in the movie, and. For a movie that was written so kind of poorly and so weird with the dialogue and the way that the characters interact with one another, it, it's kind of amazing how how bad this movie was written, but how enjoyable it was, I thought the entire way through.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to give a little bit more of, a, of like an overview review of the movie before we quite get into that. And um, yeah with the I want to comment that my problem with the writing was, uh, yeah like I said, what they wanted to accomplish with the movie. They, they brought in a very large cast into this movie. They brought in, like, I don't know, maybe a dozen New Mutants. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, the main cast is about 15 characters large. Like, it is it is a, a full ensemble cast.
0: Yeah, and some of them they go in-depth with. Some of them they barely give any lines. Olivia Munn is Psylocke, I think she has, like, two speaking lines the yeah, whole movie. Yeah, I think
1: movie. she has two speaking lines in the whole movie, like you said. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a scene where she pulls a sword on somebody, and there's a scene at the very end of the of the movie when she says like thank you, and that's that's kind of all she does.
0: Yep, and then um, uh, there's angel too, uh, or archangel, or whatever they call him in this, and, and um,
1: yeah, he only has he only has one or two lines.
0: Yeah, he he starts out pretty pretty cool uh, because he's I mean he's in a an East Berlin um, like mutant underground uh, fighting arena fighting
1: arena yeah. With uh, Nightcrawler, which is definitely one of the better scenes in the movie, uh, I guess we can I guess we can start there. I mean, because that I mean that really is almost at the very beginning of the movie. I mean, it starts off with this big fight with Apocalypse back in the you know ancient Egypt days, and he you know he has a rebellion of people against him, and he's about to become a god, and they use this giant pyramid machinery thing to. Uh, try and transfer to try and transfer his body, and then uh, yeah, then the other uh, the rebellion cr- like crashes it all down on him, and you know, miraculously, it's the year nineteen I don't know eighty three, eighty four, something like that, and they're just uncovering him now. You know what a coincidence, but yep. um, and then kind of right after that, you have like we said with the the cage fight. Um, which really I thought was one of the better points in the movie uh, the you see a young Nightcrawler uses powers uh, you get the that, the acrobatics with it you get to see angel and it, it also feels like there's some kind of urgency with it which is something that I think that the X-Men movies haven't always done well
0: yeah and there's yeah there's it's a very exciting uh, environment very exciting scene there because they're yeah they're locked up they're um if they if they don't fight they're going to be shot by guards uh they're in a cage that with an electrically charged fence and they just the, the small bit of dialogue it's like the one or two lines that uh, angel says there um just give us a good insight into that scene and that section of the world uh in the 80s being exposed to mutants for pretty much the first time
1: yeah and definitely having it be instead of like what we see normally being on the, when they do go back in time to the, to the sixties, seventies, eighties, like that's in the middle of the cold war. And so seeing mutants on the, you know, on that side of, of the world, it's kind of, you know, on that side of the iron curtain is, is kind of interesting. And them saying, you know, they're going to kill us if we go, if we don't kill each other, like at least one of us can live kind of thing was really interesting.
0: Um, Yep, then that, that pretty quickly, uh, that scene pretty quickly comes to, or it transitions into the next scene when uh, Raven, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Mystique, whoever, comes, uh, comes saves them, um, has their, the whole little espionage, or, yeah, espionage um.
1: with the underground but, railroad of mutants. Yep,
0: that was a cool little bit too.
1: Yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. Uh, I don't know who that, uh, who that character is supposed to be. I, I mean, I'm sure that they said his name, but he was just kind of a mutant that. The other mutants trusted and that was as much as you kind of got he was yeah. like a you know he was the underground railroad guy and he only cared about money yeah know. for
0: himself referring to him for er, his referring to himself in third person the whole time it's kind of strange that we don't remember his name at all yeah. <laughs> but um yeah he was just that guy who he was like an information broker style guy in underground railroad did that cool cool stuff but, um, yeah, I have no idea who he's, like, supposed to be or, like, what he did in the, the comics or whatever, what his role yeah, will like be in the future. Yeah, like, who
1: supposed to be, like, whether or not he's even a, a mutant that other people might even know. I, could, yeah. I couldn't tell you, because he didn't use powers, if I remember right. No, I don't even know if I, he's a mutant, honestly. He Well, he had, like, a weird face thing, if I remember right. Like, he was, like, a okay. bald guy. Uh, I, 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 I honestly can't remember what he looked like. Um... But I, I just remember him being like an odd, like an odd duck kind of thing, um, and then I think after that we go and we see Magneto's family. Is
0: yeah. that right? Uh that's that's a pretty cool scene. I think they it's uh, I mean it shows us what happened after he became an international incident or an international uh, criminal, pretty much, and he's yeah off in off in the woods living with his family. He's a, a steel worker in uh, Poland, and yeah. yeah, he has a family now. And I think there's a pretty good setup and a de- like foreshadowing with uh, his telling his daughter that, no, they'll never take me away like they took my parents away. I'll always be here for you.
1: Yeah, um, and you're not going to have... That, that was like a... It was interesting, but it, 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 that was definitely a, a couple of scenes. All of the stuff in Poland, it was very obvious that they got a couple of people who kind of spoke Polish. <laughs> and the the acting of oh, fassbender's
0: like, Polish was hilarious.
1: On a couple of those were were so bad. <laughs> like it wasn't even just it wasn't even just fassbender's uh it, there's a scene uh, it, it's a little bit after but it follows the Magneto storyline where uh so Magneto's uh hiding in Poland and he's pretending to be just an iron worker and a vat is about to crush somebody and he uses his magneto powers to like hold it in in the air to so that this guy doesn't get crushed so he saves somebody's life with it and as he does that uh he kind of runs like he goes back home and he thinks well maybe nobody saw me and later that day the police come and they they come and get him um and they kill his they kill his daughter uh a guy releases. it shoots a bow at his daughter which yeah i mean was... it's an
0: accidental i think like his finger slips or yeah something, his finger but... slips
1: but that's i mean that was definitely Still. one of those one of those moments where you realize that they just had to move the plot forward and they well, had to find a way that magneto couldn't just stop it uh,
0: yeah again it doesn't just kill his daughter with an accidental release of Thierro. it goes through his daughter and his mother who are his mother's hugging his daughter um and yeah it goes through like both of their hearts or right right in the middle of their chest uh, yeah, and, it like, most, yeah, it is the
1: most, it is the most... So uh, contrived. <laughs> yeah, there there was, that was a hell of a coincidence. <laughs> and yeah, immediately after they do the, like, I'm sorry, don't kill us. And then he goes on a raid, rage and he kills everybody. But there's a scene immediately afterwards where he goes back to the, like, iron workers area and... He goes in and he's, like, getting ready to kill all of them.
0: Yeah, for and having sold him out.
1: Have it, yeah, after they had sold him out. And he's ready to kill all of them and he gets this Polish guy that walks up to him and it is, like, the guy only says a line in Polish and I knew that guy was a bad actor because he says in Polish, oh, like, bad. no, don't do it. But it's <laughs> to the equivalent of him going and literally stopping and saying, no, don't do it. It's like, yeah. there's no emotion behind what he says. It wasn't <laughs> a... I mean, it was... It, it really didn't have the impact that it needed. Um, I, I do think that the scenes where it was like him trying to live a normal life were pretty good.
0: Yeah, for how uh, cliche some of those scenes were, or like archetypical, archetypical. Um, I thought some of them were pulled off pretty well. And yeah, for like you are saying, how rushed and forced uh, along the plot was for those scenes. I thought they, they still had a bit of an impact, and we still... Uh, got a connection to him caring about his family and him wanting to live that normal life and wanting not to be a villain and his motivations there
1: yeah and so after like right before he goes and he kills those people uh, Apocalypse shows up and earlier in the movie he had actually met up with Angel and Psylocke and he had taken them and he said you know we're gonna take back everything for mutant kind and
0: the storm as well
1: yeah uh, oh yeah, and he did he did uh, meet up with Storm and she thought that he was just some kind of weirdo who didn't speak speak the language, but then he like grabs onto a TV and he starts learning all of the languages just by flipping through like a hundred channels yep. it, uh, that was I think that that might have been probably the single worst moment in the movie. Uh, okay because, I, I didn't apocalypse, mind that honestly it was it was i think that it was just like the what are you doing and then his just response is this like low gravelly learning learning I, uh. yeah <laughs> i thought that i thought that was just so that was so corny and it didn't it didn't fit and make him feel menacing it just made him kind of feel i don't know like a like an actual comic book villain he didn't yeah
0: now can we can we talk about apocalypse and how they portrayed that character for a minute Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like you're saying he didn't. Well, overall, his character didn't feel all that menacing, and uh, they they did something with this character and uh, like directing that and portraying him that I didn't like, which was effectively to not, uh, I don't know, not make him move a lot. Yeah. So he wasn't yeah very agile. wasn't very strong. He just occasionally like slowly raised his arm and used some power to make people sink into the wall or sink into the ground. And then, like you said, his voice was just kind of a low, gravelly, uh, like lame voice. And I don't think that portrayed a uh, powerful or apocalypse uh, well. So I would well.
1: agree for the first half of the movie, but I think that they bring it around uh, towards the end and definitely towards the climax. That made me feel like he was actually a real threat. Um, and I don't think that he was necessarily like a threat like you traditionally see with Apocalypse, him being just this... Uh, Almost omnipotent uh, kind of mutant. Instead, what we saw is is that he has a a fairly straightforward uh, ability, but he had the almost like the silver tongue. Like he brought over uh, Angel with no with no problems, and then he brought over Psylocke, who seemed like she wasn't really up for really doing evil. Like, she seemed like she no. thought that she might have been doing the right thing, even though she only had a couple lines. She was a um,
0: mercenary-style character. She's pretty much going yeah. to go where she has. she's going to get paid or has some duty, which is why she was working for a... or what I saw with her working for the um, information broker Underground Railroad guy. Yeah,
1: yeah and I think that especially... It, I think it was really apparent when he brought in uh, Magneto and he had Michael Fassbender... Uh, come in and they they had their little uh, here's Auschwitz kind of thing um, I think that that was really interesting to see him not necessarily be hey I'm gonna I'm gonna be the corny bad guy who has like all the superpowers instead it was kind of a well I can get these people who are also really really strong to do these things for me and I thought that, that was really interesting especially seeing uh, how Magneto's like tied into the plot at the end and how his power was kind of so, really important to the climax. Yeah. I thought,
0: I thought it was very strange or very new for me at least to see Magneto working under someone else.
1: Yeah. That, that is not something that they typically do. I know, in, I know in the comics he's done it a few times, but he's almost always just in charge of the brotherhood.
0: Yeah. He usually has a very clear goal and uh, is going to achieve that himself and with his own like associates and underlings, and he's not doesn't usually work for someone else's uh, purposes or intents. So I th- I think that came out like especially near the end of the movie when he was convinced uh, I guess back towards the side of good or back against uh, Apocalypse, um, in the sense that yeah he was never really meant to or never really dis- predisposed to work under pl- Apocalypse to begin with.
1: Yeah, and I think that the. I think that the main, like, threads of the story, like, with Apocalypse and, and seeing him kind of manipulate these people and getting them to do what they want just for his own, like, deeds. Because he really does kind of play to that idea that Magneto falls into with the, well, we'll never let this happen again by kind of doing our own genocide is, is what, you know, is kind of implied there at the end. And Magneto doesn't really doesn't see that because he's he's only been on the one side of it he never was on the other side uh and Mm -hmm. especially after his you know wife and kid uh had died and after he was willing to murder all those people and that's actually one of the one of the better scenes as well is when apocalypse comes in and he just straight up kills everybody in 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 that uh iron...
0: The steelworking? Yeah, the steelworking yeah, factory. Yeah, the iron steel, yeah. yeah and, he
1: killed, and he kills everyone, and it's it's instantaneous. It's not... It's not like a... It's not anything flashy. It's it's just kind of horrifying, which I thought was really... Was a way to really kind of seal the deal with Apocalypse. Um, but well, I just thought about this. We've kind of talked about all of the main story threads, but we've completely skipped over the cyclops gene gray like young kids at the uh school yeah. storyline and
0: i mean there's some stuff that goes on there i guess
1: uh, yeah so i like the more i think about it like none of that has any bearing on the story other than the fact that cyclops and gene gray have to be there at the very end
0: well yeah and um well it's really an origin story for half the characters in this movie it's, uh, it introduces uh, Storm into the world of uh, like X-Men and using her mutant powers for, for something greater than the petty thievery. It, yeah, it introduces um, Angel and Psylocke briefly. Uh, it introduces, like you were saying, Cyclops and uh, Jean Grey and Nightcrawler and uh, Jubilee briefly and all of those characters. Who, uh, and they also bring are, back
1: Havok, yeah. who was not in yeah. Days of Future Past.
0: Uh no, and they like they bring back uh Moira Taggart too. I I, I don't think she was in Days of Future Past either. No,
1: she was only in First Class because they hadn't seen each other since the him getting shot. Since
0: the yeah the beach in Cuba and um, they take a while or the, the movie takes a while to reintroduce us to those characters or at least tell us again who they are. So Moira Taggart, I didn't recognize until like
1: until the scene that they're wait. showing up and they say, "Oh, it's Moira McTaggart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, who's she? Oh, from the beach in Cuba. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, yeah. Cause I, I mean, she it doesn't even look that similar in, to her normal self in the first scene they portray her, where yeah, she's um, dressed up in full uh, like head covering, and um, then she ta- well even after she takes that off, she's her hair's a bit off, and uh, she's tan, and it just it just looks different. Yeah, she definitely, and, yeah. even
1: if she was the same actress, she did not look the same.
0: Yeah, she well, she was, but, um, yeah, she didn't look the same, at least to begin with in the movie. And then, yeah, they bring in Havoc, and they do a good job of uh, introducing him as uh, Scott's older brother, but they don't remind us that he's Havoc for a while, or like maybe even the silly uses its powers later on.
1: Well, I, being an X Men fan, I knew that he was Havoc. But you're right. Like for somebody who isn't like a, a dedicated X Men fan, like they show him with Scott, they show him, and, and he says like, you know, hey, we've been here for a while. It's like it's nice seeing you, little brother. It's like okay, so we know who he is. Um, if if you're an X Men fan, but you're right. Like if you if you don't pay attention to the X Men, then he's he is very much not. They don't say who he is. They don't even like kind of give you an idea of what his powers are, until yeah. They,
0: they like allude to it once briefly. Yeah, until he actually uses them.
1: Yeah, and then he and then he is unceremoniously killed, <laughs> almost immediately. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you have there's there's so many characters. You're like, and that's the thing is that there's so many characters, and most of them are. Especially, like, even Scott Summers uh, and Jean Grey, like, you know, your Cyclops-Jean Grey thing, it doesn't... It's not really important to the rest of the story, but it still takes up a decent bit of the movie.
0: It's as though they feel like they're obligated to just bring that in for the sake of canon or something.
1: Yeah, and it it was... I think that it's, like, an interesting idea, especially having... uh, I can't think of her name, the actress who played Jean Grey... Um, Sophie, Tur- uh, Sophie, Sophie Turner. Sophie Turner. Yeah, she yeah. she was uh, she was Sansa Stark in uh, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, and I thought she was okay. I thought that uh, the guy who played Scott Summers, uh, which I don't know his name, he I thought he, no idea who he is. He, yeah, I thought he was uh, I thought he was good. Uh, um, yeah, I think that the guy who played uh, Nightcrawler was was really good, and I thought it was really nice that they brought back that joke of him saying. Hello, I'm Kurt Wagner. Every time that he was introduced to somebody, like they did in the <laughs> but that just X-Tube. ignores him. Yeah.
0: Oh, hi, Nightcrawler.
1: <laughs> yeah, they play this like weird romance thing between the two of them, which I don't know. That was okay.
0: But no, one of my problems with Sophie Turner, uh, for the most part, I like her in the role of Jean Grey. I think she did a pretty good job. Um, her acting was pretty good. Her British accent came out a bit, or I forget, I forget exactly which British country she's from, but that accent came out a bit with the when she was, um, in her sleep and, like, making, uh, when she had her disturbed disturbed sleep and nightmares and, uh, um, her powers were coming out uncontrolled, but, um, my main problem was that she, like, she seemed too much like a a young girl or something, or in the sense that she exuded no sexuality, in in my opinion. Yeah, and especially since it's
1: supposed to be, like, the two of them are flirting a lot during the movie, it definitely seemed like she was, I don't know, a, a little too cold, uh, at times. Yeah, she's
0: just like her cold, awkward, Sansa Stark self. Yeah. Um, be- before she gets her confidence, pretty much. And, uh, yeah, that's that's not um, what I'm used to as Jean Grey, or how I uh, am used to Jean Grey being intended.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, th- this... Uh, sorry, I'm gonna say this... i want to segue this over to the appearance of Wolverine.
1: Oh, yeah. So so all of the kids, uh, they have to sneak in, and they have to save all of the adults, which... Is such a like it feels like a PG movie plot, uh, <laughs> but it, it worked because it, it was definitely them kind of getting their sea legs, which I thought was kind of yeah. interesting, and seeing uh, Jean Grey and Nightcrawler and uh, Cyclops all using their powers uh, in tandem with one another, and seeing like them being a good team was really interesting. But then they just kind of walk into a room and there's a box and they open it up and Wolverine's inside, and oh boy, Wolverine! Yeah, and then he just like runs away and that's it. Like, and they really, really worked that uh, that that PG thirteen rating literally to the max with the Wolverine scenes because <laughs> I think that that violence was as close as you could get without being rated R.
0: It was like cartoonish violence though. That that first jump I felt looked so bad when he just like lun- or like pounced or jumped on uh the guards. But then yeah, the re- it was very cartoonish violence in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I don't think you're wrong with like that that initial jump, but like with him just literally cutting those guys down oh. and just stabbing dudes and just seeing like the not blood come out and, like yeah. It, it was it was just so odd. Like, it, it was very obviously them hitting this weird moment with it. And I I, I don't know, like, it was... It, it felt weirdly out of place for the movie with just, like, the level of violence in the movie.
0: Oh, It was very dark, even for Wolverine. And I, I thought the kids were, like, the kids who had uh, witnessed that and walked through just hallways of countless bodies just strewn about, covered in blood... I thought they were going to be like a bit scarred or just uh, emotionally damaged after that and have to have like a scene or two to recover, but eh, they seem fine.
1: Yeah, and it was it was just a it was such an odd uh, it was just an odd thing like in that movie. it, It was definitely a you are watching an X Men movie. It doesn't matter if this movie has anything to do with Wolverine, if he is in any way relevant to the plot at all, we're gonna put him in this movie regardless. And it wasn't like you you had in uh, in first class where it was kind of just like a side thing that he was like a little a little thing. It was very front and center. Yep. It was right in the middle <laughs> of everything, and it it just did not work with the movie. Uh, I no. I don't think and I, it, I, it it was it was interesting to see them use that stuff to not get an R ra- and still not get an R rating. Um, in my <laughs> opinion, but I think that beyond that, I think it was just. It was very obviously, people are going to complain if Wolverine is not. In
0: the- yeah, I could see that. Even if, yeah, again, like you said, he had no place being there. It was very out of place, uh, even if he so- served no role. Uh, people seem to like their Wolverine these days.
1: Well, I think I think people have always kind of liked Wolverine. Like, there was that point. Uh, I guess. There was a point in time where Marvel was doing the... Add Wolverine to everything and just put him on covers, even on books that he's not even a part of. Oh, geez. Yeah, I mean, Wolverine is is very obviously the Marvel's most popular character, but it just doesn't. It, it, in X Men Apocalypse, it definitely was to the detriment of the movie.
0: And I think, I think that scene was, or the the situation in that scene, especially reintroducing Stryker, and uh, was very. I guess contrived or forced. But I thought uh yeah a lot of a lot of that progression there was kind of arbitrarily contrived with um uh yeah even the scene before with Striker picking them up and uh kidnapping the the adults and yeah then with a bit with Wolverine and their yeah all of their escape from there and of course even the very obvious and self-aware bit with the having the flight suits and the jets just sitting there uh in the hangar for them to to, to take, take and yeah. take off with. Yeah.
1: It was, it was definitely, there were definitely a few bits that were, uh, with, with that, that were just, I mean, the, the the writing in that movie was very much a, well, we can't write them out of here, so how are we going to do it? Oh, they just happened to find the Jets, like, you know, they, they just happened to yeah. have the flight suits, like, all that stuff is just, it's just odd. <laughs> like Like, it was very obviously, they didn't really know, they wrote themselves into a corner, and then they just kind of ended it.
0: Yeah, maybe they shouldn't have even wrote wrote them into that quarter to begin with, considering how open ended it was uh, with the end of the previous scene at the at the school and the school being blown up.
1: Yeah, it's but especially it definitely feels like there are a few bits that they're trying to they they were trying to do something. Uh, a little bit more high concept and they wanted to have these threads kind of all come together and that is definitely an issue with the movie is that there are definitely bits that really don't have any any bearing on the story it's just kind of to introduce these characters that we're gonna see in the next movie because the people who played them in the first movies are too old so and they've kind of done this reboot enough
0: yeah i think that's Either, even though this was the the apocalypse movie and the third movie in the the series or in the trilogy if you will and um, e- yeah even though it has all of that uh, hanging over it and all of that uh I guess uh, supposed or apparent uh, climactic rush it was really just a setup for reestablishing the x men and bringing ba- everything back to square one and uh, being ready for a next set of movies
1: yeah and I think that uh the thing that they're going to run into an issue with, I think, going forward, is Quicksilver again steals the show in the movie, uh, just like oh, in yes. Days of Future Past, where so great, which is his scenes are all are, are all incredibly fun because really there's not much you can't do with super speed in set yeah. to you know some some classic rock tunes and just seeing him kind of doing stuff that everyone else can't do is it was really was really fun again but i mean i don't know if I, there would be another movie that i would want to see another scene like that well
0: in this one i appreciated that they brought quicksilver into the regular swing of things uh with actual intention because uh later late, later in the movie he has a brief fight with apocalypse and they show that for the most part he's dominant in that fight um or he's for for a brief bit he's uh, dominant in that uh encounter and uh, yeah, they put him into the actual scale or into yeah the scheme of things, and show uh, where he's off the charts powerful. Apocalypse is off the charts powerful, and so they have their own fight together, and it makes a bit of sense, I think.
1: Yeah, and it was it was it was really nice to see because he really is like just hands down beating Apocalypse, and then Apocalypse realizes what's happening, and he adapts to it, and he. Kind of, uh, I think he cripples.
0: Uh, yeah, he he catches his leg yeah. in a like piece of mud and stone that he slides up and um, breaks his leg.
1: Yeah, and I thought that that was I thought that was really cool. It was definitely a way to make Apocalypse seem more threatening again because at first he isn't that uh, that threatening, but then he just kind of like learns what they're doing and he's able to react to it.
0: Yeah, if if this character Quicksilver who is so powerful can be defeated so easily by Apocalypse, then Apocalypse must be even stronger than we were already conceiving, or even stronger than we had already imagined.
1: Yeah, and I, I, thought, that was, I thought that was interesting. Uh, I think that it's, it, it, it was kind of too bad that they didn't go all the way with the Magneto being his dad thing, and I think that that might have to do more with, with contracts with Marvel than does anything else. But it was kind of a bummer to see them get so close and then back out at the last second.
0: Yeah, when they could do so much to uh, I guess connect those bridges, make those bonds, and uh, develop those characters in a in a sense not seen earlier in the movie, they just chose not to do so.
1: But yeah, I think that the uh, the, the scenes with Apocalypse towards the end and with Qu- Quicksilver, I think that those were all great. I think everything with Quicksilver was good the um it was it was particularly uh kind of heart-wrenching when after the fact he's like well i saved everyone and then uh havoc didn't make it which yeah that was was, it was it was particularly hard because you know you're coming off of this like kind of comical scene with uh with him pulling people out and like eating a slice of pizza and you know doing all that yep. and and throwing everybody out and then at the very last second everything speeds up and everybody's freaking out wondering what the hell's going on but it was you know when when Scott's where's you know where's Alex it's it was really a uh, you know I th- I thought that, that was one of the more uh one of the more touching scenes in the movie
0: yep and I think uh or I hope in future movies they bring bring that back to an extent as a uh, motivation for uh, Scott's character. Kind of like they they brought in uh, up in this movie actually with um, I forget who told Scott this but they were telling him, I think it was Jean uh, was saying that she had seen in uh, Alex's mind that uh, he always thought hi- very highly of his little brother. Thought his brother was the one like destined to do great things and uh, I think that can play a bigger role and um, Scott's loss of his brother can play a bigger role in future movies.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, you know it, it's weird because in the comics, Havoc doesn't doesn't die if, if I remember right. Like I think he goes missing, but I don't remember him ever being dead. Um, so I mean I, I c- can't speak on this. I could definitely see it being a plot point where you know like like you said he's a he's a pivot. It was a pivotal moment for for Scott's character, but then when he like realizes that he's not dead later, uh would be really interesting because i i do believe that they there are three summers brothers if i remember right but uh i, I honestly can't remember 100 percent i haven't read a, an x-men comic in forever
0: <laughs> uh, sorry yeah i n- never gone to the comics pretty much just watched a bit of the 90s cartoon and um some all, all the or most the movies all the movies since i think it's the movie. yeah i think i watched all of them but it's been a while since most of them yeah, the. Yeah,
1: I think that the the, the there's, uh, Cyclops, Havoc, and I think Vulcan is also their brother, but he's kind of oh, that's cool. But Vulcan's like a a space character, like he's not, uh, like he he's more in like the Guardians of the Galaxy style stuff more so than he is in um, in like the X Men universe if I remember right.
0: Okay, so I won't expect a, an appearance from him coming up anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, I wouldn't. To... I wouldn't see his yeah.
1: character because that, thats the thing—is like with Marvel movies, you've got like the the Earth stuff, and then you have the the cosmic storylines, which yeah. are, you know, the, they're they're it's kind of the your space serials, like almost like your uh, like Flash Gordons or your uh, you know that kind of stuff, as opposed to your superhero comics. Um, but no, I think that I think that. That that kind of stuff, seeing them say, you know, hey, we didn't see him, but his power is to absorb energy, so it, it feels kind of like a cheap death if they do actually keep him as a dead character.
0: So, with that, I want to, and we've talked through most of the movie, uh, I want to go back or backtrack a little bit and talk about something you brought up earlier. Um, you were saying, uh, yeah, you're pointing out that a lot of the characters brought in and a lot of the scenes to introduce and develop them develop them were uh, pretty much entirely unnecessary to, for the actual conflict and uh, purpose of the film, but I think in some ways it worked in their favor, though uh, my um, argument here is that though it was bad writing, it's uh, that's one of the big appeals of X-Men is to introduce all of those characters and show us, show us the audience what your interpretation of the these characters is and what these iterations are going to do what their relationships will be and how they're going to interact with the world and like their different ages depending on each set of canon and i think yeah introducing all those all those characters and uh, exposing us to them and their fut- uh, potential roles in future movies is one of the things that made this movie uh uh enjoyable for anyone who's uh Vaguely familiar with the X Men franchises and the X Men characters.
1: Yeah, and and you're you're definitely on point with that. Like the the X Men movies are always going to be your ensemble movie, like comic book movies. I mean, the the yeah. Avengers have kind of started to take that over a little bit more, um, but even then, those movies I think kind of falter a little bit. I think that uh, I think the first Avengers does a fine job, but I think that the second one they really didn't get that and especially when you had you know days of future past was such a good ensemble movie and they introduced so many characters in a way that it was still it was still enjoyable to see every character um you're you're definitely right that the that x-men apocalypse definitely does uh is definitely a step back i think that i think that it's not necessarily a bad thing that you have scott summers it's not a bad thing that you have gene gray I think that those could have been really big points to the movie, to the movie. But unfortunately, they don't do enough for their for their being there to actually matter. I mean, a lot of the movie still follows, uh, you know, Psylocke uh, or not Psylocke. Uh, oh shoot! Now that I'm Jennifer Lawrence's character.
0: Uh, oh yeah, Mystique.
1: Mystique. Uh, like her character is still very much a focal character in these movies, which I think is unfortunately a detriment to these movies. And I think really realistically it's because Jennifer Lawrence is such a huge draw. They don't want to get rid of her. So they want to keep giving her bigger and bigger (laughs) parts. Um, and I think that mystique works best as a villain. And I don't think, I think that, uh, I think that Jennifer Lawrence, unfortunately doesn't want to be the villain. Um,
0: Well, I don't think audiences want her to be the villain either. Yeah, and I mean, that that
1: may be true, but unfortunately it does seem like the movies do kind of suffer because of that. I think that uh, the guy playing uh, Beast, I think that he kind of weirdly is getting a bigger and bigger role in these movies, and I don't know that that's necessarily a great thing. Um, I think that Professor X is always a great character, but he's a good... You know, side character having him be the focal point of the movie, he doesn't really have a lot of action. And while his action scene in this movie with that mind battle against Apocalypse was really interesting, I don't think that it mm-hmm. it was it was the best thing that they could have done with this movie.
0: Uh... Yeah, X Men franchises uh, typically focus on the the X Men as a as a team and as a as a developing team pretty much too, where it's uh, the yeah, and they've been, building, young adult adult and they've been building
1: this team for for 3 movies now. Like it's and it seems like the team changes from movie to movie and the characters that you see who are still there aren't your, you know, they're not it's not Cyclops. I mean, it may be going forward, but this is the 3rd movie of this franchise. Like I mean, we're still seeing Magneto and Professor X try and come to terms with what's going on and they still kind of are you know, they're still kind of friends and they're still kind of just doing their own thing. I mean, Magneto almost destroyed the world in this movie and they just let him kind of go away at the end. And he's just I doing mean, the exact thing. It's a same sasuke thing.
0: Naruto relationship there.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's just, it's not what I think that these movies excel at. And I think that the writing was trying too hard to be this... Uh, this big bad movie and have these have uh, give Jennifer Lawrence, a lot of screen time, get your kind of cool action scene with Quicksilver, which admittedly was really cool. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. I almost feel bad for how much I love that scene, but yeah, I mean, it was great. It's so much fun. It's
1: like, it's such a great scene and it's unfortunately kind of is, it, it is something that kind of elevates this movie where it really has no right to be as good as it is in this movie. Like, <laughs> I, like I think that this movie really does have some really really bad dialogue. I think that the characters don't, don't really work that well together on a lot of scenes. There's a lot of there are a few scenes where the chemistry is just not there. There's I think that the actors themselves did a good job, but it's just very obvious that they're working with some garbage writing and. It's it's just too bad.
0: Yeah, and that's um, yeah the and th- that's one of the uh, disadvantages of having such a large cast cast, which is they can't focus on the character dynamics and having that chemistry that you're talking about. When whenever I think of uh, like team dynamics and that really excelling, I think of shows like Avatar and Justice League Unlimited with uh, like with episodes written by like Joaquin Dos Santos and Tim Hedrick and stuff, and they uh, do such a good job with. Uh, putting, like, two or three characters together and having them, uh, or just building chemistry between them uh, within the confines of a certain conflict. And they could do that very well with X-Men, I think. Uh, yeah, writers could do that very well with X-Men, but they chose not to in this movie. Well, and, well, and I think yeah.
1: I think especially with something like, I mean, right now, Game of Thrones is probably the most popular piece of media that's out there right now. And I mean that is yeah. an ensemble cast. Like there are, I mean, how many main characters are on that show? Okay. I mean there are at least there are at least twenty. And so obviously they're they're doing television, so it's a little bit different. But with with something like these X Men movies, they spend so much time focusing on certain characters that don't really do anything. Like th- there was no reason. Like they put half of the characters in a box just so they could show off the other characters, and then they go, okay, now let's go. Like it 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 wasn't a bad thing but it it was just the characters didn't they only interacted with their own little groups they didn't interact as like a big you know as a big moving piece of machinery and like that's i think that that is where this movie kind of falls apart um which is too bad because there are so many enjoyable bits to it i think that even though Apocalypse isn't the best villain, there are some really great scenes with him. Like seeing him, uh, the the battle between him and Professor X is actually a really great scene, and it makes that that really cheesy shot where in the trailer where they show uh, Apocalypse pinning him down and he's like ten times bigger than him. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel stupid like you'd see in the trailer or like like no. a cartoon, it really has, like, weight.
0: Yeah, and they, well, especially after showing, um, yeah, showing uh, Professor Xavier, like, beating him for a bit and, yeah, in his own mind, in his own uh, environment where he's powerful, then again, yeah, like you were saying, Apocalypse, uh, he learns, he adapts, he has role reversal, and um, it shows, again, just how uh, terrifying a foe he is.
1: Yeah, it it definitely takes him some time to really come off as threatening cuz he's he's kind of not when they first show him but he he gets more and more threatening as the movie goes on and by the end there it really does feel like if they don't beat him right then it it was kind of going to be the end for them and that's that's something that you can't really say exists in the other X-Men movies i think that the level of urgency in this movie really felt urgent whereas in the other movies it hasn't been there which i think is a you know, a good plus to this movie.
0: Yeah, um, I feel mixed about that. I think, yeah, the sense of urgency is nice, but I also think that they can't really top the conflict or the the invincible invincible power of the enemy in this movie in any future movies. They can't they can't get a villain who's bigger than Apocalypse, pretty much.
1: Well, we know that the next movie is going to have Mr. Sinister as your bad guy. They, they kind of already... Oh, okay, I did. Yeah, they anymore. already kind of give you that, uh, I can't remember... It might have been in the post credits scene, uh, oh, okay. but there, there is a so the next movie is going to be Mister Sinister, which is nice because that means that we know that Scott Summers is going to be the character, uh, the main character. With again, so which, which yep. is nice because I think that Cyc- uh, Cyclops unfortunately has been kind of screwed by the X Men movies uh, <laughs> because he is an interesting character in the comics. And with him in the X-Men movies, I mean, even in the original movies, he's just there as kind of a a competition for Wolverine. Because he's he's not really his own character. He's just there, and he's kind of a dick to Wolverine. And that's kind of where they draw the line. Like, there's not... uh, there's not a lot going on with his his character. You know, he's in love with Jean Grey, but then she also has her own like weird feelings. And that's as much as we see for him. And seeing his kind of main villain and seeing the two of them interact will be will be interesting. And I did like that kid who played Scott Summers. Like he felt he yeah. felt good.
0: And they had they a really good transformation from him having from him being like uh, shy and like nerdy and weak to him building some confidence and getting some control over his powers and uh, becoming part of the team and learning trust and things like that and uh, I thought that transformation was well done and now with how his character is portrayed and how yeah he's confident he confident and powerful he will be able to work well as uh, my guess with Mystique around he probably won't be the leader of the X-Men like he normally is but uh, I would still have to say as an important member and he'll still have a leadership role. I'm sure.
1: Well, it definitely, it definitely felt like in the, that corridor scene where they're in the weapon X facility, it definitely felt like he was kind of giving them the orders on what to do. He was like, you know, go around there, do this, do this. But they, I think that they spent a little too much with, uh, with Jean gray. I think that, I think that she kind of filled that role a little bit too. So, it was almost like a clash of egos but they're supposed to be kind of in love and it's 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 weird seeing that because knowing that gene gray is supposed to be kind of a more timid character um until like the phoenix stuff happens
0: (laughs) yeah that was a big problem i had with the movie too is that they brought in the phoenix stuff within the same movie they, they even hinted towards it
1: yeah, and, and, uh, and I think and that that's, feel like
0: there's appropriate buildup.
1: I, I, like I agree, but I think that it's I think it was a small enough thing, and I don't think that it'll be I don't think it'll be apparent for a couple movies, which I think will be a good thing. I think that the I think that the Phoenix stuff is interesting, and I don't think that they did it well enough in X three.
0: Um, uh, wasn't X two the one they haven't had it in? Oh, you right, You're right. Really X two. Well, yeah, no, because um, X
1: three ends with the the Phoenix stuff as well, doesn't it?
0: Uh, actually, I don't remember X3 ends. I I just remember that, um, it's been a while. I mean, I remember the scenes with like Juggernaut and stuff. Because I believe that, I I
1: believe that it was null. The, the one that had the ability to turn off all the mutants abilities was the one. That was the reason that they beat Phoenix. Like, I think Phoenix shows up at the end of X2. And I think that the actual Phoenix storyline is X3.
0: Okay. um yeah I guess it, 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 it been absolutely way too long is, for now, me.
1: That th- now that I'm thinking about it it, it absolutely cool. is. because Mr they, memory because he has to do that really stupid I can't kill her and then he kills her immediately afterwards
0: <laughs> uh, yeah that
1: uh yeah that was definitely in X3 which okay uh, that movie has some serious issues and if they can if they can redo that story in a way that is Compelling. I think that I will be more interested uh, than I was well, with X
0: three. Again, that wasn't directed b- by Brian Singer, so that uh, probably is a contributing factor.
1: Yeah, X uh, X three was done by I think it was Brett Ratner. Sure. Uh, the guy I, who did I, Ru- I think it was the guy who did Rush Hour. Uh, did that? Oh, okay. Um, he's done a bunch of not very good movies. Uh, <laughs> he did. He did Rush Hour. Um, he did Rush Hour three. I don't. He did Rush Hour two as well. Uh, he did the movie Skyline, which was not a good movie. Since then, it looks like Horrible Bosses and Horrible Bosses two are the biggest movies that he did. Since uh, I then. don't
0: think I remember hearing good things about those.
1: The first one has a couple of know. good moments. It's not a particularly good movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I, I think cool. that it, it's. It's a good thing they got Brian Singer back because he is one of the better points in uh, X Men Apocalypse. His direction, it it definitely feels like an X Men movie. The action scenes are definitely on point for an X Men movie. I do think that they will run into an issue of escalation because they've kind of hit that peak. And now that they've beaten Apocalypse, who can they really lose to? Like, you're right. Because, I mean, Mr. Sinister is, you know, he is a sinister bad guy but he's also not apocalypse. <laughs> so, no,
0: he's he's not the end of the world.
1: Yeah. So, and especially seeing uh Magneto kind of cap out, I guess that Magneto could be the villain in future movies because he really was the the one that was causing the world uh devastation problems like
0: yeah, he was causing like he, a lot... Yeah, he, yeah, some he was the one
1: that was co- causing almost all the of destruction. the uh, computer-generated destruction in this movie.
0: Yeah, and then I have another big point that I actually took notes on because I took a couple, like, two or three notes on, uh, in preparation for this discussion. Um, I, I'm not sure... You, I don't know if you'll be able to relate to this, but uh, it's something I like to call the, the Christopher Nolan effect. Mm-hmm and by like to call i mean i i will i'll reference chrisordan movies you just coined with this so. yes i coined the term <laughs> um it's uh i'm sure other people have talked about it in other uh, capacities but uh, effectively how how i like to describe this is that uh it's well it's a way of making movies or it, it describes a movie that's uh i'll say overly long or very long and the sense of pacing in it where it's uh, not necessarily super dynamic, or, um, or, yeah, it's not necessarily super dynamic, or the progression isn't, uh, as linear as, uh, other movies may be. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, um, X-Men Apocalypse had, uh, much more linear progression than, say, the Dark Knight trilogy movies, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, it, it built up more towards the climax than I'd say, uh, uh at least Dark Knight Rises does, but, um, it, yeah, with this, I'll say it's it's a sense of uh, pacing to extend a movie, but keep um, each an elevation for each scene to where it's still... Uh, like a cinematic uh, environment and elevation for each scene to where it's still v- very watchable. And y- throughout like a three-hour movie, you won't like feel bored or feel like nothing's going on, even if there's a little progression or even though it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Does, does this make sense to yeah, you? Yeah,
1: yeah, it definitely... I mean, the movie does not feel like it is two hours and I think twenty something minutes. Like, yeah, it, I mean, it is. It isn't the longest movie, but it definitely feels shorter than it is, which I think. I think, to an extent, I think is a good thing. I think that the way that they, the way that the scenes are paced, I I prefer that. I mean, I think that uh, I think Avengers is kind of the most egregious example of something like that. I mean, that movie is almost three hours long if i remember right
0: wait it is yeah
1: i think that the oh jeez. Yeah, I, I believe avengers how
0: did i watch that
1: i believe that the avengers movie uh is i mean the second one the second one is as long as this one but i think that the first avengers movie is almost three hours long uh, i could be wrong it looks like it's actually only two hours and twenty minutes, so it's actually the same length as this movie. It's the same length, but yeah. like they, they both do that where they they don't feel as long. Um, uh, they, I mean, they definitely do not feel the the two and a half hours at all. Like it, it does not feel like a two and a half hour long movie. Uh, no, it, it feels like it's it's a little bit. I would say past ninety minutes. Uh, I mean, there are a couple bits where you can tell that the scene is dragging a little bit, but it never drags long enough that you're really kind of waiting for the scene to be over.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, like I was trying to describe, I think there's, um, kind of a constant elevation to where you're always a little bit excited, always reach going towards the end of your seat, but never quite reaching it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There were definitely, so I saw this movie with, uh, with my wife and I also saw it with my friend Eddie, who was a regular on uh, the the old Danger cast, and there were definitely a few times in this movie where we were so taken aback, though, by the the way that this movie was written that we turned and we looked at each other in the theater, uh, <laughs> and I think that that's kind of a like I think that that's an unfortunate thing because the movie is like you said it's it's, it's enjoyable and it keeps going, but there are, there are definitely bits in the movie that pull you back out and just it, it kind of Uh, the writing again. I I, I can't stress it enough. Is is the worst part of the movie. But I couldn't help but enjoy the movie the whole time I was there.
0: And yeah, there there's a lot that brings that together. But um, yeah, I don't know if you have um any other like key points or explanations really to add. But uh, yeah, I'm just gonna reiterate that I think it was mainly that uh my Christopher Nolan effect and the uh the introduction of all the characters that like we know and love and want to see again, uh, regardless of their role in the story, that brought it together, or brought it um, to it, to make it an enjoyable movie.
1: Yeah, I think I would have liked this movie a lot less if they had brought back Rogue, or if they had kind of shoved in any more characters um, that we had seen before. I, it was nice to see uh, a Nightcrawler that wasn't the nightcrawler we saw in x2 i think it was nice to see (laughs) even though he's only in the movie for maybe three scenes it was nice to see angel and really kind of get across that he's like this rebellious teenager even though he really only has three or four lines in the whole movie Uh, i think that i think psylocke was nice to see uh I, i think that it was unfortunate that they didn't do more with her uh i think that seeing all the characters do their their things seeing the you know spectacle of the X-Men fights was was just as enjoyable as it's ever been. I think the Quicksilver was great a- again. Um, but it, unfortunately, there are bits in this movie that definitely do kind of set it back. And I think that almost all of that is in the writing. Um, I don't think that there are two, I don't think there are too many real issues I have with the movie aside from the writing though. I, I do wish that the, the main three uh, kids had a little bit more uh, substance to the movie. I, I don't think that mm-hmm. that was, was the worst thing, but it, it was kind of unfortunate that they kept going back to Magneto, Professor X, Mystique. Um, and I do think that they have kind of set themselves up for a failure for the next movie with Apocalypse being as strong as he is, and they kind of beat him out, right? Um, But it was all... All in all, I mean, it was a very... I think it was a very solid movie. And unfortunately, like you said, uh, it's... I think the fact that this came out so close to Civil War is what really hurt this movie.
0: Yeah, like most people I know or a lot of my friends didn't watch it until, uh, like, a month after it came out. I... I, unfortunately, have not seen the uh, Captain America trilogy yet. um, So I didn't go and see Civil War. But, uh... And I've been keeping up with X-Men, so I, yeah, I saw that soon after it came out. But uh, that's not the case with most people these days. Yeah. They're into the Avengers and Captain America, and that's what's uh, important, or that's what's uh, in in the media. It's what you're going to see at Comic-Con, and yeah, that's what they, they're excited by.
1: I think that's the other thing uh, that this movie does, now that you just brought that up. I don't think that you necessarily need to have seen the other X-Men movies... To get across in this one, like to to get the characters in this one, I think that they do reference them enough that it, it, it definitely helps to have seen them. But uh, if, if I were to if I were to give it something that uh, the uh, that the new Captain America movie did have that it didn't do as well, I think that this movie did particularly well in introducing characters and even older characters, not necessarily expecting you to know who everyone is all the time. Um, I think that that was one of the biggest problems I had with the new uh, Captain America movie is that you really did need to see about six or seven movies before you watch that one.
0: Yeah, because you probably have to watch the Avenger one, Avengers movies too, and maybe in other movies. I mean, like, it, does Captain America appear in? You'd other, have to watch. Like, you would have. To, well,
1: it's not that he appears; it's that all the other characters show up. Oh, all the other so characters. Yeah. So you have you'd to have to know, know Iron Man. You'd have to know. You'd have to see the Iron Man movies. You wouldn't have to see Thor, Jeez. which. I mean, it, it, I like the first Thor, but the second one—it's a good thing that you don't have to see that one to get that. Oh, I
0: finally watched more of the second Thor, and I agree with you. I think you need to—you need to have seen
1: Ant Man. You need to have seen, yeah, uh, Ant-Man. You need to have seen, um, yeah the three Iron Man movies. Oh, you need to have seen both Avengers movies. I mean, you need to have seen uh, at least the second Captain America movie—not necessarily the first, although it does help. Um, as bad as that first Captain America movie is, I mean, mm-hmm. and that's the thing with this, with you know, X Men Apocalypse, is that you don't, you you can just see X Men Apocalypse, and you know, oh, I know who Professor X is, and I know who Magneto is, and you may not necessarily need to be as much into it uh, as you would have. The kind of reference that these characters have a past, but to what extent, I don't. It is not as important uh, as it as I mean, it would be in something like the Avengers movies.
0: All the important points they pretty clearly allude to uh, in the movie itself with uh, Maura Taggart uh, and her role um, back in First Class. They they describe some of the important points in that she had a, a romance with uh, Professor X and yeah they I mean then, it's, um, it's
1: very yeah. it's very upfront they they very they front load all that it's oh you were in love once and now she is been brain she's been uh, lost her memories because of Professor X and she doesn't know who he is like. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you know the mystique stuff they they reference that her and Charles and Magneto all have like a three like a three person past that's really kind of complicated, um, and yeah. then you know Beast does his his things. We know the Quicksilver stuff. They I mean they straight up say that he's Magneto's son, but they just don't they don't seal that deal between the two characters, um.
0: They allude to his past. They say it's still up to the same stuff, living in his mother, living in his mother's basement.
1: Yeah. I mean, and the rest of the like the rest of the characters though are all new, so they don't need to necessarily um, do as much of the heavy lifting that you would in something like the Avengers, which is which is I think is a.
0: I, I think it's uh, for the most part a good thing. There are a few disadvantages with um, as, as also when it comes to the writing, like you're saying, is uh, if I were to give it one word for like the, the writing and the movie as a whole uh, or in the movie as a whole, I might say that's in, that it's inconsistent because uh, at a lot of points they don't know whether to treat this movie as a sequel or as a standalone movie or they don't know um, or they, they don't uh, interlace all of the uh, scenes or not every scene or every character is important for the core plot and so when they uh, bring in those scenes or bring in those characters it's inconsistent with what's been happening the last few scenes and the the overall uh end goal of this movie where uh yeah again there are advantages and disadvantages to that but um yeah it seems to it seems to have worked out in its favor in some ways like you were just saying
1: yeah and i it, it's <laughs> i i I think that it it does well with with what they have and i think that it's i mean it, it's kind of just a a take what you what you want and some people are not going to are going to prefer the the format that you that you get with the other movies
0: so i think we've pretty much exhausted our uh or most of the key discussion points or yeah our discussion of the movie itself and uh what we thought was enjoyable not enjoyable where it suffered uh with the writing and production and where it excelled and uh i think yeah i think that's yeah most of what we have to say any any other Things you want to add on, tag on to the end? Uh,
1: no, I think that I think that the movie, I, I think that it is something that I would recommend to most people. I think that especially anyone who has liked the X Men movies in the past, I, I I do think that this is a movie that unfortunately was kind of uh, just poor timing. Uh, really is part of the reason yeah. that this movie didn't do so well. Uh, I mean, it did it did well, I guess, in the box office level, but it's it's still not the uh it, it isn't as it wasn't as as huge a success if i remember right as some of the other x-men movies although i could i could be wrong honestly i don't know wh- how well it did in china um but yeah for anyone who that, <laughs> uh, if, no, for I, anyone that hasn't it, seen it i, I absolutely would rec- recommend
0: this movie actually yeah i just checked uh days of future past uh budget 200 million um box office 748 million and uh, then, Apocalypse was a budget of 178 million, and then box office of 534 million. Okay, so, it, so there's it was a sli- it yeah. was a
1: slight downgrade from the from the last movie. But
0: 200 million uh, difference. And I have uh, to wonder in, how in much in of that budget. Profit. I have
1: to wonder how much of that budget was the top three: uh, Jennifer Lawrence, James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender. Uh, because I mean, they <laughs> uh, Jennifer Lawrence makes so much money from movies nowadays. And it, it's, yeah. as, honestly, with those X-Men movies, like, she may get a draw, but I don't see her being at all what people are seeing the X-Men movies for. And I could be wrong, like, she could be drawing more people than, than ever, but I, I feel like the, I mean, X-Men, I feel like in X-Men 2, I feel like those were still doing, you know, the almost 500 million uh I mean, and I feel like the X-Men 3 wasn't a good movie and I feel like that almost pulled 500 million, but I could be wrong.
0: Um yeah, I'm not sure on that, but uh yeah, she's she might be a draw to people who aren't interested in seeing X-Men or an X-Men movie, but um for for the most part, uh yeah, I don't think she's as important as her uh, salary says.
1: Yeah, and she she definitely does command that salary. Uh I think that, you know, she does she does get people in the seats for a lot of movies. I mean, she does. She's shown with other movies like Silver Linings Playbook, and uh, I think Joy was the other one that she was nominated for. I think that she shows that she can do real acting, and it's nice. It's nice to see people like that in these movies. I do think that they focus a little too much with her on this movie, though.
0: Yes, especially considering her relatively small role in this movie. Yeah, I, I. I don't know if I'd, well, as an X-Men reboot movie, I'd recommend this to people, and as an introduction to X-Men, I would recommend it, but as a movie, I didn't think it excelled enough or was was good enough that I would call it, like, good or that I would recommend it. Uh, It's a fun action movie, um, to an extent. It's a fun action movie as a movie. As an X-Men movie, it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I think I, I do think that that that's kind of where you have to go with it though I, I mean as far as your superhero movies go I think that it was it, it was a fine movie it's not as it's not the best movie that you'll ever see but I think it was enjoyable the whole way through um, which I think is better than you can say about movies like the recent DC movies like uh, Batman vs. Superman um, your uh, Dark Knight uh, Rises. Um, and...
0: I really did not like Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I
1: mean, I could, I could kind of rail on
0: that movie for another hour, um... That's for another episode <laughs> of this podcast. That concludes our discussion on X-Men Apocalypse. I hope you found what we had to say, uh, entertaining, informative, and hope it gave, uh, hope that it gave a bit more insight on, into why such a, uh, an underwhelming movie in some senses... Was so enjoyable and uh, had we had so much positive to say about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be back many times. Hopefully, uh, if we have some other stuff that we're planning between the two of us. Uh, need to just get a, get a few more things on the roster or yeah on the roster on the queue, and then um, yeah, you'll be hearing a lot more from Greg in the future. Uh, great to talk with. Has some good opinions. Good night, Internet. <laughs> i don't know anything you'd recommend for this uh podcast format or how we went about the discussion
1: uh, i think that it was i think that it was uh, i think it was good um i think that we i think we spent a little too much time on uh the oh like the actual plot of the movie um, but I, because yeah. I, I think the discussion was 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 fine there, but I think that it definitely went a little too long on that.
0: And I, I think that's uh, I ended up seeing the movie twice. I watched it once with uh, my parents, once with friends, and uh, so I was pretty familiar with the plot, or much more so than I would be with uh, a number of other movies. Yeah. So I think that was uh, one of the problems: is that I could summarize the movie or could talk through each scene pretty clearly. And then one more point: the important question for this key pilot episode of this podcast do you have any ideas for like a a good name uh i I I was thinking through a couple but most of them are just really dumb jokes
1: well um i mean the the premise is for kind of like underrated media um i mean
0: yeah on on that idea i had a the the title why Do Good Things Happen to Bad Media? Subtitled, A Jewish Tale of Theological Redemption. I
1: think the only problem with that is, is it's such a long podcast name.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, I'd, I'd probably to do the, the first section, Why Do th- Good Things Happen to Bad Media? But that's still a bit much.
1: Yeah, I would think something that, uh, that really kind of gets across the idea of it being a piece of media that you don't... Uh, that most people wouldn't, uh, wouldn't see like maybe something like I wouldn't, I don't know. Like I, I was thinking something like almost like, like fool's gold or something like that.
0: That's really That's a really cool idea.
1: Like, you know, some, something that lets you know that it's, it, it still might be something that's good, but it's also not necessarily, you're not, you're not talking about the best thing in the world. Um,
0: Fool's Gold, subtitled a media study, or something subtitled that some subtitle that's not dumb. Well, like,
1: and you can even make a joke afterwards, like with, like yeah. like you could even use that second, uh, that that subtitle that you had used before.
0: <laughs> well, the subtitle that I used before uh, was was dependent on the first line, like you know the whole idea in uh, uh like Jewish or like how the big question in Jewish Jewish theology is why do bad things happen to good people, mm-hmm. uh, considering that's kind of what's happened to uh Judaism or the Jewish people and Israelites yeah. or whatever throughout you know history. Um so yeah, just reverse that. Why do good things happen to bad media? A Jewish tale of theological redemption. <laughs> okay, no that's well, just no, I think I think, like, like, I think, I think it's like I I do
1: think that like the joke there is there. I think that the the problem with it is is that it's not something that rolls right off the tongue. And I think that's something that I think no. that's something that kills certain podcasts, is not being able to uh, clearly and concisely get across, like, the idea that you're going for.
0: Yeah. Um, um, I really like Fool's Gold, and I may just use that if you don't I mind. I do not
1: mind. If, I mean, if I'm a part of the thing, I obviously... I, don't I care.
0: Uh, the hope you will be a regular contributor. Yeah, if I get, if I get invited back, I absolutely full host will if you be. can Well, yeah, you'll be invited back. Uh, we, we get along well enough. Uh, we can discuss things well. Um, and, yeah, you have some podcasting experience. You've seen a bunch of media that I have, and some of which I have also seen. So, yeah, it, it works. You're a cool yeah. guy.
1: well, thank you. I, I like to think I'm cool, too. but
0: You set yourself up for that. Fishing the of
1: it. But, uh, yeah, no, I think that, I think this was a lot of fun. I, uh, especially if we're talking about something that I can still kind of just be like, eh, this was, this was definitely not good, but I still like these things. Like, that's always yeah, good. Yeah, that's,
0: that's, what everything on here is supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, because like, that
1: was one of the things that we had, we had run into on the Danger Cast is that we would talk about something and it would just be us either completely shitting on something or... <laughs> uh, us talking about it being like it's oh, this is the best thing ever.